Good morning. It's so good to be with you in worship, to, to be singing about the cross today as we focus in on the cross again. Welcome if uh, you're online as well. Uh, you know, over the last three weeks, we've been meditating on the cross. We've been uh, in a series of the way of the cross, really focusing in on its power in our lives. And the motive behind this is to prepare our, our hearts for Easter. You know, sometimes it's another holiday we rush into, we rush out of but really to dwell on the power that exists there, how our sin was paid for there. And so we gave you the pocket, pocket crosses a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you've had those or carried those with you or if you've been reading through uh, the Gospel of John together. Uh, if you haven't, I just encourage you to, to make a point this week and Holy Week as we lead up to Easter to read through that Gospel uh, and to really prepare ourselves uh, for what God's going to do this Sunday um, or this weekend. So, uh, but to catch you up, if you missed any of our, our series, encourage you to view them online. But uh, week one, Pastor Matt, as he pointed us to the cross, just pointed us to the fact that the cross beckons us to be just sweetly broken before God. As we recognize the gravity of our sin and the atoning work of Jesus, that he bore our sin and shame, that he took not just a physical punishment, but the wrath of God poured out on him so that you and I could have an opportunity for forgiveness and grace. And you and I could receive back a relationship with our loving Father in heaven. He did that for us. So it calls us to humility, to know that there is nothing outside of the cross that can save us. It's not on us being good. It's on what Jesus has done. And it's that gift of salvation that we accept. And Pastor Mark last week, he encouraged us that if we'll accept this work that Jesus has done for us, we become new. It changes everything about our relationship with God and really changes everything about who we are. In fact, the Bible consistently after the life, the death and the resurrection of Christ, it says now we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Our life is found in Christ. And today we're even going to look at what a couple of those examples are and how we can live that out. And so the cross, it impacts how we relate to God. It impacts who we are, who we are becoming. And today we're going to look at how the way of the cross, the focus on the cross, impacts and transforms our relationships with others. See, we're made for relationship, right? You and I were made to be in relationship with God. The Bible clearly shows us that, but we're also made for relationship with one another. And relationships, that is the conduit, the avenue for God's grace, his joy, his love to be expressed and received in our lives. But relationships are also a source of conflict, division, frustration, hurt and opposition as well. And so how do we deal with them? How do we deal with relationships, both in a church and just in our personal lives? Today, we're gonna look at three ways, briefly, that embracing the cross, walking the way of the cross, really transforms how we relate to one another. And we're gonna use one of my favorite passages in scripture, Philippians uh, 2, uh, to do that. Paul there calls us to fix our eyes on the cross and then gives us three specific ways that we can apply that to our lives to uh, compel us to deeper levels of unity, humility, obedience, and perseverance. And so if you're following along uh, with notes, if you grabbed them on the way in, or if you have your, your app, I encourage you to pull that out. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can flip to Philippians chapter 2. 
But Paul is the writer here, the author of of the the letter to the church of Philippi. And in the first chapter, he encourages them just in their acceptance of the gospel and who they are. He even says, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who I am changes completely when I accept the message of Jesus. He says, you know what? I'm going through opposition. I'm imprisoned right now. Paul was in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus to others. But God was using that opposition and people throughout the palace guard were accepting Jesus. And so he said, trust God, even in the opposition. And then he encourages the church in Philippi to unite around the message, the true message of the gospel. This is what he says in Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. The first thing he calls us to is unity in Christ. And unity in Christ, as we'll see, transforms our relationships with one another as a church and as the church around the world. As we walk the way of the cross, as we fix our eyes on the mission of God, that was revealed at the cross, that people who were far from him, stuck in sin, might have a way to be forgiven. As we fix our eyes on that, we together share in the hope of salvation. We share in the hope of the gospel. We're united as believers. And there is nothing in the world like the local church. Locally, globally, there is nothing like the church, the family that we get to be a part of the body of Christ, which is you and I. And so if the the cross is true, both in historical events, which we can be absolutely confident of, but if it's also true in spiritual events, the spiritual impact of God offering his own son in our place to bear our sin and shame, to take God's full wrath for the punishment that you and I are due so that we can have forgiveness. If that's true, which it is, then we possess the greatest, most hope-filled message in the world. A message that each and every person that breathes needs to hear, which gives us then the privilege to possess the greatest mission in the world, which is sharing this good news about Jesus with others. See, understanding his sacrifice, it takes the personal commitment of receiving that and that love and grace in my life to have the confidence that I am in right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. But it's more than just about my life. It invites us into this family, into the church, to fulfill, to carry out the mission of God, that the mercy of God and the worship of God would be experienced everywhere. That each and every person created by God would know just how valuable they are and how much he loves them. And when we look to the cross, we see that. We see that value. We see the depth of his love. And so throughout the New Testament, the writers continue to call the church to unity. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be united in Christ? They always point us to the cross. They point us to the empty tomb. They they point us to the gifts of the Holy Spirit within us, the baptism we, we share in faith. They always point us back to everything that is central to the message of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the great news. If we as a church family and as the church around the world, if we would really accept this, 
if we would live with purpose and mission, be one in mind and spirit, then there is literally nothing that can stop the church. There's nothing that can stop God's grace and his love flowing through the church, not even the gates of hell, which is what Jesus told us. And so we have this incredible mission that we get to be a part of. And if that's true, if we have been transformed, if we've got this message of hope, if we've got this message of mission, and we got unity within our church, why would I say that unity transforms my relationships within the church? Like, could it get any better? Or is there something that isn't <laughs> the best? You know, if we think about it, the only problem that exists in the local church, it's us, right? Like, let's just be real honest. We, we receive this, this gift of salvation. We're invited into these purposes. But because we're flawed, we still struggle with selfishness, with pride. We're prone to wander away from what's central to the gospel and the message of Jesus. And we often experience or even create, maybe it's conflict with other believers who have just a little bit different belief or conviction or opinion. But here's the beautiful thing about the church. It's diverse and it's created that way by God. Both here in our church family and around the world, we come from different backgrounds, cultures and experiences. We've got different dreams, opinions, hopes, affiliations. Diversity doesn't justify division, especially in the local church. It's the Holy Spirit that unites us around what is important. And so diversity is God's design. And when conflict arises in the church, oftentimes it's not on the core, the key thing. You know, for me, it's when my opinion or my preference becomes more important than the worship of God and the mission of God. And so that's why the New Testament writers continue to say, hey, it is beautiful when we unite, even in our differences, when we unite for the grander mission when we love one another as Christ has loved us. In Ephesians, Paul says it this way. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be complete, completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Keep, or make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as we're called to one hope when we are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, as we walked away across as a church family, we united around the message of Christ, the mission of Christ. I love this cross that's been in our children's ministry for like 20 years, and there's over 100 names scattered on here of kids who've accepted the good news of the gospel. Our church is established to fulfill the mission that we would be ambassadors of Christ, that the people who are far from God would see and experience God's love in a way that would draw them into relationship with him so that they can be fully devoted followers of Christ. That is the mission. And Paul is telling us as believers, unite in Christ around that. Don't break the unity of the spirit that we have. Acknowledge the differences. Acknowledge the fact that we're not all the same. We're not called to uniformity, we're called to unity. But don't lose sight of what's most important. 
the mission of God and the love of God lived out through our lives. And so where differences exist, when we're tempted to walk away from this mission and get caught up in frustration, conflict with one another, what do we do about it? We can't just ignore it. And Paul encourages the Philippians, even in later in, in the same book, in Philippians 3.15, he's calling them to focus in on what's really vital, what really is the mission of our lives. And he says this, he says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Notice he doesn't say at some point, if you think differently, make sure you fight it out, get your point across, try to get, convince that person to come to what you believe. He doesn't say go to social media and fight that out because that'll bring solution. He says what? Humbly say, okay, God, there's conflict, there's, there's difference. Show me, lead me to what my clear path is. Maybe it's restoration, maybe it's reconciliation, maybe it's just humbly saying, that's not the most important thing and I'm gonna let it go. And so we we surrender our differences and we, we pray for one another, we pray blessing on one another, even the ones that are difficult to get along with or don't see things the same way that we do. We can pray that God would open our eyes and open our heart to know that if division is creeping in in my relationship with someone else in the church, it's just Satan trying to get into our lives and our relationships and distract us from the unity that God wants to provide and the mission that he has us on. And so the way of the cross, it calls us to deeper unity within the church. And so for us, how, how are we doing in this area? You know, when you think about how we interact, relate to one another, does judgment creep in? Does conflict creep in? Do you have the tendency not to see someone through the eyes of Jesus, even within our own church family? If that's the case, a good prayer would just be, God, help me surrender that. Lord, help me to stand on what's true. Help me to stand on what's central to the message of the gospel. Help me not to bother myself with things that are maybe petty, things that will lead to division. A good prayer for us is just to say, God, I surrender those differences that I have with other people, or maybe who's sitting right next to me, and help me to focus in on the unity that we have in the message of Christ. So the first thing it does, it, it calls us to unity in Christ around what's really important. Second, it calls us to a humility of, in Christ. All right? As we walk the way of the cross, it reveals to us God's purpose for our life to have the same humility that Christ did. See, relationships are hard. If we have humility, God can use that humility to transform relationships with others outside the church. But it's hard, especially with people who maybe don't believe in God, maybe people in our family or friends who, who don't have the same spiritual basis of us. Oftentimes pride wants to get into our relationships and we know from the, the scripture to our own life, pride is the root cause of relational brokenness. Knowing this, Paul says in Philippians 2, he says it this way. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to use to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, what Paul is pointing us to, right? We look at the cross of Christ. We look at the life of Christ. If there was one person, one human being that had the right to be a little prideful, a little self-centered, boast about himself a little bit, it'd be Jesus, right? I mean, as he left heaven and walked this earth, can you imagine how difficult it must have been for Jesus to be around people who were just stuck on themselves? You know, just bragging about what they accomplished, bragging about what they had. How hard it must have been for Jesus to say, oh, or not to say, oh, that's nice, but did you know I created the universe? (laughs) The humility it must have taken for Jesus to to go, oh, that's nice, but do you want to see me walk on water? Do you want to see that? Like... (laughs) Like, he had such humility in his daily interactions. We set, definitely see that at the cross, but we see a life, his life lived out in humility. Even how he chose to uh, step into our existence, just being a man, a mere man, born in the humblest of ways in the manger, living in a town that didn't really have any significance, right? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Being a carpenter, no offense to our carpenters. I love you guys. It's a, it's a great trait. But what's so special about that, right? How he spent his life seeking the outcast, going specifically to those who were distant from society or felt distant from God so that they might know that the God of the universe sees them and loves them and has a purpose for their life. His mindset was never selfish. It was always about what would benefit others and what would glorify God. And so for us, as we look at the cross, obviously the death on the cross is the greatest example of humility ever. That being perfect, he would choose to lay down his life to take our punishment for us, even though we didn't deserve it. But if you look at his life, I brought a towel because I think about how he served others, even his disciples. The night before he was was crucified, he gathered together and before they ate their meal, he washed their feet, their dirty, nasty feet to show them this is what love looks like. It's not someone powering over you or lording over you, but it's someone serving. We're called to be servant-hearted, to be humble as he is. You see that in how he healed the sick, how he fed the poor. Really, the only problems he had with relationally with people on earth were those who were prideful or self-righteous. That's where conflict (laughs) happened. So what would our lives look like if we really took on the humility of Jesus? How would that change our family, our work, our relationships and friendships if we did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, we valued others above ourselves? not looking to our own interest, but each of us to the interest of others. And that'd be a powerful prayer. I think that'd transform our lives and our relationships if we begin the day like that. Lord, help me not to be selfish and prideful today. Help me to see the needs of others. Help me to put others before myself and not just be so stuck on my own agenda. But here's, here's the conflict with that. The challenge with that is pride is normal, right? It's our default mode. We constantly think about and do things that benefit us. Humility takes work to develop. It takes courage to acknowledge the fact that we're naturally selfish and prideful. 
And it takes faith in God to believe that he can do something to transform our heart so that we actively put others first. It's hard though. Relationships are hard. I'm currently working through a 12-step study at Celebrate Recovery um, and trying to get to the root cause of some anger that's in my life and trying and trusting God that he's going to give me victory over that anger. And through this process, I've realized that one relationship in particular over the last couple of years has been really challenging. And my sponsor, he said, you keep saying you're frustrated, but let's just be honest, you get angry at that person. And, and so that person is part of our church family. I asked if I could actually put his picture on the screen, not to accuse him, but just to let you know who it is. If you know that person, <laughs> you might recognize him. That person is my three-year-old son, Gavin, all right? Let me just tell you his problem, all right? Let me tell you, let me tell you what's wrong with Gavin. He just doesn't care. He just doesn't care every day what my agenda is what my timeline is for things like even leaving the house. He doesn't seem to care about the work responsibilities I have or the pressure that I carry day in and day out. I know he doesn't care about being obedient, especially in public, all right? I just feel like he doesn't care. And when he doesn't care and he doesn't act in a way that I expect or want him to act, I get angry, right? So let me ask you, Who's got the problem? I mean, let's just be honest, right? <laughs> who's got the problem in the relationship? It's not my three-year-old boy who's all boy and all energetic and literally doesn't hear me when I, when I tell him things. Isn't the problem in my unrealistic expectations? In the problem in my self-centered motives that I think a three-year-old would be more concerned about what I want to get done than playing in the dirt, right? And that, that might seem like kind of a silly example, but for me, it's been profound in how easy it is for me to approach relationships through that lens. What I want, what I need, what I expect comes first. Humility in Christ <laughs> flips the script. It becomes, what can I do to serve? What can I do to encourage that person? Where are their needs, desires, expectations? And God, how can I put those ahead of myself? Now, definitely with some boundaries, but what's the healthy relationship look like, God? So what does that look like? What does humility look like maybe in our lives, just practically, you know, for Gavin, I've been carrying this cross, sometimes putting it between me and him over the last two weeks. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, I've had to humbly just confess and apologize to him for losing my temper, all right. I need to, I think, memorize this Philippians 2, but what, is, what does humility look like practically in our lives, you know, in our workplace? How do we strive for excellence and success, but make sure we're not climbing a ladder on top of other people. Make sure we're looking, we're approaching our work in a way that how do I bless or encourage my coworker? How do I honor, respect my employer or employee today? How do I bless maybe the someone I'm gonna serve? We've got a lot of incredible students in here that we're so proud of 
You in school, maybe in sports, maybe it's just starting the day saying, okay, God, I know that sometimes I just focus on myself. Sometimes I'm more concerned about me than others. Help me to be humble. Help me to see the needs of maybe my classmates, my teammates, and do something out of my way for them today. In our home, man, humility has the power to transform the environment of our home. If it becomes, how do we love and support and encourage one another instead of everyone fighting for their needs and wants? So what does that look like? Maybe surrendering to God those needs, those desires, and saying, how can I put others ahead of me? I know in my life, my relationship with Gavin improves every day if I get up a little early, spend some time with the Lord, and read the scripture. My approach to the day, my approach to my relationships change. So maybe it's that, surrendering to God. Sometimes pride, it's obvious, it's ugly. Sometimes it's subtle and it's hidden. So for all of us in every area of our life, we can just say, God, search me, know my heart. Show me where I'm prideful. Show me where I'm a little self-centered. Show me where you want to work out your humility. Give me a game plan so that I can be a blessing to others. Help me to be quick to forgive when someone doesn't put me first so I don't get back into being selfish or prideful. So humility in Christ, it has the power to transform our relationships. But not everything in our relationships depends on us. We can be perfectly humble and obedient to Christ and still face conflict, even opposition. Spiritually speaking, that's part of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to live a countercultural life, what it means to be obedient to him. We will face opposition, conflict. And sometimes that's hard when that conflict or opposition comes from someone within our family or someone we're close to. The final thing we're going to look at is that obedience to Christ transforms my response to that opposition. See, the gospel is offensive, right? For each and every one of us, when we hear that we are sinners destined to be separated from God, and it's only through the grace of God expressed on the cross, that's our only way to salvation, that, that is offensive. But we as believers are not called to be offensive, we're called to live by the truth of the gospel, to, be, uh, to proclaim that, to, to live boldly for Christ. But we don't have to offend or oppose. All right? As we step into following Jesus, we step into spiritual battleground. And our hope is that we, as we follow Christ, would understand what's going on. That oftentimes the conflict, even the opposition we feel or experience isn't really about us, isn't really about that point of difference. There's a bigger spiritual thing going on. And we don't have to be surprised by it. Even uh, Jesus said this in Luke 12, 52 and 53. He said, from now on, because of the gospel, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, there'll be five in one family divided against each other. In other words, some are going to accept it, some will not. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. See, the gospel, it convicts and we have an opportunity to accept or reject. And there's opposition there, right? There's difference there. And so it's especially difficult for us when that opposition, when that, that happens consistently with close friends, close family members. What do we do with it? 
Well, know this, it's only God's spirit that breaks through the darkness in our heart to get us to accept the message of Jesus. His spirit is the one that brings us to salvation. He wants to use us, but he wants us to be mindful of the real battle going on. We can be tempted when there's opposition to fight over every little thing, to try to win the little battles and miss the fact that the real battle is for the soul of every person. And so the spiritual battles we face, we need to acknowledge and confess where the victory is. If there's opposition in your life, to pray fervently for Jesus to break through, for that person to receive his grace. And as we fix our eyes on the cross, it gives us hope, it gives us perseverance. Hebrews 12, two and three, it says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keep moving on. Keep being fully devoted to Christ. Keep focused on the central things of the gospel. Keep loving in humility and compassion. As believers, we, we shouldn't be surprised by opposition. We should understand it. That that's what we've stepped into. And we should stay focused and fervent in praying for God to break through that with others. Now, a little side note here. Sometimes we experience conflict, we experience opposition. And as my mentor told me this week, sometimes that's just because we're stupid, all right? We can't just spiritualize everything and say, oh, there's there definitely, sometimes we make poor choices and we ought to confess <laughs> both to God and to someone else when that happens. But more times than not, we need to stay focused on the spiritual battle that exists, even in the face of that opposition. Philippians 2, uh, Paul finishes this passage by saying this, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it was opposition that led to the crucifixion. But praise God, it was the crucifixion that led to our salvation. God has a plan. He's got a purpose. And everything that we're going through, he will be faithful to work for good those things as long as we stay in step and fully devoted to him as we're called to him. So if you look at the, cro uh, the, the cross, even in relationships that are the hardest, what do we see? We see Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. Even the people piercing him and putting him on the cross, it was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so for you and I, we can carry that humility, that desire to see forgiveness in our lives, that desire for spiritual blindness to be broken, people to step in to the truth. Let's not spend our time causing conflict or opposition but to be ambassadors of Christ that point everyone to the work that he's done for us. And so my encouragement for us this week as we close and we walk this way of the cross is just to, to pray actively, God, draw me to deeper levels of unity, connection, belonging here in my local church. 
Lord, is there any, anything in me that I need to confess for, that I need to repent of? Lord, am I distracted from the main message of the gospel? Lord, in my relationships each and every day, how can I live out the humility of Jesus? Show me where I can actively seek the benefit of others instead of just my own agenda. And Lord, most of all, help me just to be an ambassador of Christ, that even in opposition, I would be obedient and that you would break through and people will come to know you because of what you're doing in my life. So we're, we're gonna close with taking communion